following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either 9 or 10.30 a.m. You know, it has been a little while since I've put my head in the clouds. And what I mean by that, I know what you're thinking immediately, because it's what I would think if somebody said that statement to me, that by putting my head in the clouds, I would immediately begin thinking about daydreaming about something. Um, like, I mean, it is that time of year. Summer has begun, in our house anyway, because Caney school is over, all right? So that, that means summer has started, and um, I, I, that, that means certain things. For one thing, it means right now that, that as JB and Phil kind of right, we are in the grind right now because we are heavily involved with camp, and Bailey and I are the deans of, of five, the first 5-6 camp, and uh, man, that's a big undertaking, and we're going to be working on that some more this week. So that's kind of where my mind goes, and that is not daydreaming, okay? Don't get me wrong. I love camp, but it is a lot of work to put that together. Um, where my mind this time of year sometimes will run daydreaming-wise is the mountains, all right? Didn't get to go there last year. I see thumbs up out there, um, and, and I'm so I just to go be 10, over 10,000 feet up and just enjoy God's creation there. Well, uh, that's not what I mean by daydreaming. Okay. What I mean by about getting my head in the clouds is this, and this is something maybe you have done before. I'd be willing to bet a lot of people in this room have. It's look at those clouds, especially on, on a day where those clouds, okay, I'm not going to try to name which type of clouds they are because it's been a long time since I had those science classes, but those real big fluffy ones. You know, and those real big fluffy ones where you look to them and you try to pick something out of them, all right? And you can find out a little something about somebody. You can find out if they are normal or if they're really weird. I mean, that's really what you can. I mean, it's like, oh, I see an, I see an elephant. Um, he's got a boa constrictor around his neck, strangling it. That's what I see. And you're like, oh, that's nice. I see a bunny wrapped and eating clover. That's what I see because that's what it is. You see, because you look at something like that and everybody sees something different. And that's what makes it fun. And there are some focal points in life that we can all see differently and see things differently from the same scenario, the same situation. But some of those focal points in life have only one way to be seen truthfully. And what that means is, is your view or my view of them doesn't make something truth. Because real truth stands on its own. Regardless of what you or I think about it. Or anybody else in the world. You see, we live in a world that's trying to pull us more and more away from that fundamental reality. Real truth stands. Bear that in mind for a moment. We, as we've already talked about, we have begun this journey through Hebrews. our fourth week already. And it's already going fast. And as we've gone so far, we have found out something by our author written to a Hebrew Christian audience. We have found this out, that he started right off the bat. Jesus is greater. That's the theme we've already talked about. The first thing he says is Jesus is greater. Jesus is superior to the angels. That's kind of where this begins, through chapter 1. And then right after that, our author gives the first admonition or warning to his audience. And his warning had to do with this. There is danger in an apathetic view or understanding of the gospel. Meaning this, the gospel very specifically 
is Jesus died, he was buried, and he arose. That's the gospel. The power of the gospel is how that can still transform lives today. And our author, in the beginning of chapter 2 of Hebrews, that's where we're going to be today, in the beginning of chapter 2 last week, he gave the first warning about being apathetic about that incredible truth and message of the gospel. Now, as we continue on, our author is not quite through with the angel talk yet. He's still going to talk a little bit about angels, as we will see today. And before we're done with looking at the rest of chapter 2 today of Hebrews, what we will find out is our author is going to give us a little bit of a preview, you know, kind of an introduction, and then he walks away from it for just a little bit, about a huge chunk of what he's going to deal with in this letter. Remember, this letter was written to Hebrew Christians, somebody who has a lot of, people who have a lot of tradition in the temple, in the sacrificial system of the temple. Seems very foreign to us. But in that system, there was one individual who was incredibly important. That was the high priest. And we'll get kind of a preview of Jesus being the great high priest. So let's look at it together. We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 2, beginning with verse 5. All right? Hebrews, you can see, as we talked about last week, it's near the end of your Bibles. Okay, I mean, it's really close to the end. You're not sure where it's at? Turn to your table of contents. It'll put you in the right place. That's just fine. Okay, you got, you got your phone. Do it on your phone. I like hard copy, all right? And hope you got a hard copy, at least at home, if you don't have it here with you, okay? Um, as you look to this, I'll be reading, as you follow along, um, I'll be reading out of the New American Standard, okay? Beginning with verse 5, and this is what it says. We're going to go all the way through the end of this chapter. Don't worry, we're not going to go verse by verse. We're not going to be here till 4 o'clock, okay? For he, now I've got to say something right off the bat. When I see a personal pronoun, first person in, 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 in that way, although that's not first person, that's second person. Um, when I see that, uh, what I've got to understand is I've got to go to his nearest antecedent and see that that he, I'm going to replace it, is God. That's God, okay? For God did not subject to angels the world to come concerning which we are speaking. But one has testified somewhere saying, What is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, and have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not see all things subjected to him. Our author makes all that very, very clear. Verse 9. But we do see him who was made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him for him for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For he who both sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him 
who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is also able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Now, as I look at this passage of Scripture, one thing jumps off the page directly at me, slaps me in the face a little bit, and it comes out of verse 9. And what our author says, he's saying, but we do see him, meaning we see Jesus. And I know what you're thinking. Well, the author, I mean, this is 2,000 years ago. The author and his audience, they saw Jesus. Well, no, they did not, as we've spoken about previously. This is a second-generation Christian letter, okay? The author makes it clear that they heard about Jesus from those who did see Jesus. So when he says, we see Jesus, he's speaking in a figurative way in the same way that we see Jesus Today, So understand, we can very much be a part of this audience. So here's the question. When we see Jesus, what do we see? Our author lays it out very well in these verses. The first thing we see when we see Jesus is a ruler. We see one with incredibly, an incredible amount of authority. We see the ruler. You see, here's something that you might not know, but the Bible talks about it. It's this. Angels have a level of authority in this world that they will not have in the next. Now, it was just, oh, goodness, a couple months ago that we we journeyed through the book of Daniel. And there were those who were frustrated with JB and myself because we went through like the first half of Daniel and didn't do the second half. Because the second half starts jumping into prophecy. It gets really confusing. All right. By the way, going to throw it out there right now. Because when you look at the second half of Daniel, you tie right into Revelation. The Wednesday night class wants me to do class in Revelation next year on Wednesday nights. I'm studying it. Reading it. We'll see. Okay. All right. Okay. So just that, that being said. Um, When you look to Daniel chapter 10, something really amazing comes off the pages, and it's this. Daniel did not understand these visions that he was seeing, these these, these prophetic visions, and he asked God for help in understanding those visions. Well, God dispatched an angel to go and help Daniel understand, but the angel was delayed in getting to him. And the angel shows up and he tells Daniel, look, I've been trying to get here, but I have been battling and what I've been doing, I've been been battling against the prince of Persia, okay? And, and, And Michael, another prince, came to help me so that I could get away for a while, come and help you, and I can't stay long. I've got to go back and do battle the prince of Persia because the prince of Greece is coming next, and Michael will be involved in that. Now, Michael was the great prince of Israel. Guys, these are angels, Good and bad angels. And it's not just the Old Testament that speaks of this. Paul refers to it in that incredible passage of Scripture out of Ephesians chapter 6 where we are encouraged to put on the armor of God. And there's a reason why we are encouraged to put on the armor of God. This comes out of 
Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So yes, there is a level of authority in the hands of angels within this world. This world. Let's look at verse 5 again of Hebrews chapter 2. When it says, For God did not subject to angels the world to come concerning which we are speaking. Jesus will be the final ruler of the world to come. Now, don't understand. He is ruling now. Matter of fact, his rule began, this rule specifically began when he arose from the dead and ascended to heaven and was glorified with his father to take his place at the right hand of his father. And he is ruling. Do not be wrong. But his rule has not yet reached its height. It's coming. Jesus, again, physically It's presented to this world. Oh my goodness, it's going to be crazy. And the world will know. And Jesus' full authority will be put in place. It is coming. He is. So what do you see when you see Jesus? What we see is a ruler. But that's not it. What else do we see when we see Jesus? We see a brother. Siblings. Siblings. Now, there are some who are in this world without siblings. Some who were an only child. All right? Um, That's different. That's different. I don't know if that's a curse or a blessing. I'm not sure. Some days it might feel a little bit like a curse. Some days maybe like a blessing. Because when you have siblings, oh, the stories we can tell. I can remember what my, one of my buddies from, from high school said. Um, his name was Shane. I will not say his last name. Don't want to cause any riff within his family by any means. I haven't talked to him years in, any, in years anyway. Since I've been in Altamont serving at the church over there, haven't seen him. All right? Uh, but I've known him for a long, long time. And this is something he had to say when he was talking about his sister who was two years younger than him. He was a senior. She was a sophomore. And this is what he said. She's my sis. Don't have to like her. You gotta love her. There's <laughs> some truth to that, right? You don't have to like him. You gotta love him. You know, it's interesting the connection that takes place, the connection that exists because of shared life, shared conflict sometimes, as well as blood, the blood connection of brothers and sisters. Let's see what our author has to say next about Jesus and who he is. Beginning with verse 9 of chapter 2 says this, But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And then verse 10 is a little confusing, so I'm going to read it slow here, okay? For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. Now catch this in verse 11. For both he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and those who are sanctified, that's Christians, 
believers, are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, brothers, and sisters. Jesus is the brother of every believer, and he has earned that right to be our brother. And you're like, wait, he had to earn that right? What are we getting at here? Well, let's go back to verse 10. It says, a little confusing. Let's break it down a little bit. For it was fitting for him through whom are all things, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things. Catch that. We're talking about a cosmic authority and power here, okay? It's for him that creation is here. It's through him that creation is here. So we're talking about power, folks. And he says this. It's fitting for him in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. That word author is is very much an interesting one. Um, I'm not sure exactly what your Bibles might have translated that word as. I was tempted to use a word, you'll understand this, Blair. A lot of people won't, but I know you're an NBA guy, okay? The thought is kind of like trailblazer, but that's not really what we want to use right now, right? As they're getting destroyed, you know, um, by, they might come back, you never know. They might come back, but man, Golden State is just whooping, mopping the court with them. Okay, so, so let's not use trailblazer for a second. Think of this. This author, think maybe along the lines of um, a path. Pathfinder, not a Nissan Pathfinder. Okay, okay, I'm talking about a Pathfinder or a Pioneer. All right? You see, he blazed a trail for our salvation through his sufferings. Then it uses another word here right before that that really kind of gets me going. It's like, what is, what is this? Look at this. Back to verse 10. It was fitting for him in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. And what I want to do is like circle that perfect in my Bible and put like a question mark beside it. Because that just seems weird to me. Has anyone here, I'm going to, Donna's at work today so I can do this without getting into trouble. Has anybody here ever laid eyes on the real Mona Lisa? Pain. Anybody? Okay, nobody. Where's it at? I don't know where it's at. What? The Louvre. You sure? We need to check that. Unless somebody stole it. All right. Okay. So it's in the Louvre, the Mona Lisa. Now imagine this for a moment. I've always, I told you I took, a, I took two semesters of art in high school. So I go to the Louvre. I go, Mona Lisa. What are you laughing at, Ty? I said Louvre. You didn't hear it right. I did not say Louvre. Goodness. So, I go to the Louvre, okay, and I'm standing before this, and it's like, oh, wait a second. You may got a paintbrush. Just, just a little bit of rouge right here. Just like right here. Perfect. Perfect. I'm telling you. Okay? Okay? Bring it to me. Am I going to get it? No. Probably going to get thrown in jail, you know? That's probably what's going to happen. How dare I go there and say, it's the Mona Lisa. It's not perfect. I think I, can, I think I can make that better. And I have that same feeling. What's it say? Perfect? 
perfect the author. So Jesus needed perfected? Understand something here. If, if you don't get much else out of today, this is one of those things you want to grab a hold of. All right? The perfect son of God. Got that? The perfect son of God had to become his people's perfect savior. I know that sounds strange, but it's what had to happen. And verse 14 says that he did this by taking on flesh. Verse 9 says this, he came for a little while lower than the angels. Guys, do not ever overlook the ramifications of Jesus becoming man. He was here 100% God, but he was also 100% man. The author doesn't spend a whole lot of time with this yet. He has a good job. He like throws things out there that kind of gets the mind whirling, and then he comes back to it a little bit later. This author of Hebrews is amazing. Okay, And, and so we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it's, it needs to be said. We'll spend some more time on it later. Look at verses 17 and 18 because they are amazing, and we can find so much strength from these verses. Therefore, he, meaning Jesus, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters, like mankind in all things. Had, you know what that is literally? He was obligated to. He had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Do you get that, folks, that word propitiation? Anybody use that this year or this year? I could probably say that this past week in conversation. Um, you might have thought it, all right, because propitiation is all about wrath, all right? And um, there have been some in this room probably who have felt the wrath of a mom or a dad at some point in time in their life, okay? Jesus, when he went to the cross, experienced the wrath of God in our place. And then it goes on to say this in verse 18. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered... He's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Now, we're going to spend more time in this in chapter 4. But it's something that deserves a little bit of time right now. Understand this, folks. Jesus was tempted in all kinds of ways because Jesus was fully human. Don't ever forget that and don't try to separate it. Or you're not doing justice to the message of the gospel. He might have been self-conscious as an adolescent, had a little bit, little bit too much baby fat, maybe complexion problems, because he was fully human. He might have had a, a crush on that cute 11-year-old girl down the street, all right? He stunk after a hard day's work. Yes, he did. Jesus had body odor, okay? He was fully human. He was a builder. Are you telling me, are you telling me that he never was tempted to throw... Throw a tool, throw a hammer. Okay, okay, now we got to chase the squirrel just for a moment here. It is my personal opinion that throwing, you, you smash a thumb, you, 
You have been given the right to throw that hammer. Amen. Hallelujah. Now my wife, she disagrees with that. I don't know who's right. But let's say she's right. Are you telling me Jesus was never tempted to throw a hammer a time or two? Jesus got tired of people and their problems. Now we have that in scripture. Come down from the mountain of transfiguration. Got to put on his heavenly glory for a while. And he came down. He's like, man. His disciples have made a mess of things down there. And he's just like, how long have I got to put up with you? He was continually tempted to choose a different path. Tempted by Satan. Tempted by his followers. Tempted by Peter. What did he tell Peter? Get behind me, Satan. He was tempted by the crowds who wanted to make make him their king. He's our brother. He understands when we are tempted, and he sympathizes when we fall on our face. Now understand something. He does not empathize when we fall on our face, and there's a difference there. Sympathy. It's a place of compassion. It's seeing someone hurt, maybe even from their own choices, but seeing them hurt and feeling bad for them. Empathy is a little different. Empathy is feeling bad for them because you've been there before. Jesus never fell on his face. But Jesus was tempted to make decisions that would result in him falling on his face. And when he sees us fall on our face, he sympathizes and he picks us back up and he encourages us to continue in this battle against sin. That is our brother. Take courage, brothers and sisters. He is a powerfully protective, perfect brother. That's not all he is. He's a conqueror. He's a conqueror. You know what has been called the great equalizer in life has terrified men and women for millenniums. It's not tornadoes. It's not earthquakes. Not tsunamis. It's not great white sharks. It's not labradoodles. Okay? I don't like labradoodles. I'm sorry if you got one. When I was little, my folks took me up to Arkansas. I don't know what we were doing in Arkansas, but we were there, and I was sleeping in a sleeping bag on a dining room floor, and those people had this noxious little poodle that just terrified me. I mean, like, they had to lock it up because it would not leave me alone. It was trying to bite me, okay? And, and like, I'd leave the bathroom, and I'd run there, get in the sleeping bag, zip it all up, and that dog just like, on the outside of that. Terrified me. Still bothers me, all right? And Labradoodles, they're not normal. That's supposed to be a lab. Poodle's supposed to be a poodle, okay? I'm taking that a little far. But if you look at those other things, it's not the tsunamis, it's not the tornadoes, it's not the great white shark or the labradoodles. It's death, okay, that has terrified people for so long. Look at verses 14 and 15. Therefore, since the children, since the children share in flesh and blood, we wear these things we call bodies. He himself likewise also partook of the same. He had a body as well. 
that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. And what comes to mind for me, first of all, and I'm probably flip-flopping them like I shouldn't, but Romans 6.23, when it talks about death, and it talks about sin, for the wages of sin, what is earned by sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then you preface that with Romans 3.23. And what do you come up with? See, Romans 3.23 is that incredibly important passage of Scripture that's supported by the rest of the New Testament. But it puts it very bluntly when it says this, For all have sinned and fallen short. Of the glory of God. You see, Satan had been kind. He had us in a stranglehold from which we could never escape. Satan didn't make us sin. We took care of that on our own, all right? But Satan is really good at pointing fingers. Saying, sinner, 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 sinner. And what is the wages of sin, God? The wages of sin is death. You see, we were doomed, but Jesus conquered death by dying of the greatest paradox in history ever and then not staying dead. And then Paul, man, his words are so powerful and we need to use them a lot more times than at funerals. When you can just see Paul all through 1 Corinthians 15, he's talking about the resurrection, and he's building, and he's building, and he's building, and by the end of it, you, I promise you, at that point in time, I'm not sure if he was dictating his letters yet, because his eyesight was so bad he couldn't write them, so he had to dictate them to scribes who would write them for him, and he would usually name them in the letter. I haven't looked close enough First Corinthians to see if he had it right. I'm pretty certain he had somebody writing it. And I'm guessing that at this point in time, Paul's in the middle of it, and he's right there, and he says, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? See, Jesus is a conqueror. When we see Jesus, we see the ultimate conqueror of death and fear. So the question remains, what do you see when you see Jesus? Our author spells it out so well. He is the ruler. He's the ruler of what is and what is to come. He's the brother. He knows what it is and what it's like to walk in this world and rise above it. He's the conqueror. It took the God-man because that's what he was and is and forever will be. It took the God-man. He alone was able to conquer death and remove its sting. And folks, that's the truth. Graduates, listen up. All right, graduates, I'm looking at you. Found you. Uh, Took me a second, Carly. I got you. Listen closely, guys. And maybe you're a graduate of life. We graduate things all the time, all right? So I guess we can all be included in this. Graduates, listen closely. 
what we have talked about today is truth. This is the truth about Jesus. Who he is, who he was, who he will forever be. He is the ruler. He is our brother. He is the conqueror of death. Now the thing about that is, by it being the truth, there will be those in life who will tell you. that that's not true. You see, while we walk in this world, our walk will forever be labeled and can be described and summarized with one word. That will come to an end one day. And that word is faith. Yes, faith will come to an end. Why do we need to have faith in God and his son anymore when we are forever in their presence. But we're here now. And the biggest tests in life will test graduate and graduate your faith. Because there will be those speaking to you, trying to corrupt what you know about the truth. You see, it isn't just truth. Jesus is is truth. He is truth. And our author was telling his audience this because things were getting tough for them. As we talked about last week, all they had to do is go back to their roots, what they used to be, because it was legal to be that in Rome, but it wasn't legal to be one of those Christians anymore. It would be so, so easy just to zip it shut. What unfortunately so often happens when we stop proclaiming the truth of Jesus is it has deeper ramifications. And our author says, why would anyone want to walk away from this guy? The ruler. Our brother. And the conqueror of death. Don't let anybody pull you from Jesus. Nobody. 